Welcome to Mile High Magazine. Mile High Magazine takes a look at the issues and people shaping events in Colorado. Presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. Here's your host, Murphy Houston. And good Sunday morning, everybody. It's another edition of Mile High Magazine. I am Murphy Houston, and we are so glad you are here. Uh, Today, we're talking about the 2018 March of Dimes Denver March for Babies. And I'm so pleased to have as guests the ambassador family representing the March of Dimes, Kyle and uh, Katie Daddio. And uh, Kyle, I had a chance to meet you at the kickoff a few weeks ago. And being the dad of a couple of preemies, you had some great conversations. And now we got Katie, the mom, in here, and I'll bet she can really add to some of those stories. <laughs> Absolutely. Very nice to have you guys in here. And let's talk about why you became the ambassador family. Maybe, Katie, you can address that. Well, I think given our experience in the NICU and our, uh, uh, you know, both babies born at 26 weeks, um, Kyle kind of has our uh, story down. Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, our, our son was born at 26 weeks. Um, it it was kind of a a crazy experience for us. We were living in Chicago at the time and, uh, traveling back to New York to visit my family. Uh, the plan was to stay for a couple of days for Christmas and, uh, head back to Chicago. And my wife was, uh, about 25, 26 weeks pregnant and got sick, uh, Christmas night, early the morning of the 26th, you know, didn't really want to mess around with anything. So we went to the emergency room and, uh, Ran a couple of blood tests and the doctors came back and said, let's go ahead and deliver this baby. And wow. we were like, not only were emergency room doctors and yeah. nurses, but the labor and delivery doctors yeah. and nurses were on it, their way. It was so. a, it was a pretty serious situation. Yeah. I and mean, I think they, they didn't have a ton of time to describe everything to us, but it was essentially, you know, if, if you and the baby both want to make it out of this, we, we've got to deliver this baby now and, and then go from there. Uh, and so it was kind of a whirlwind. Uh, I just remember them whisking Katie away and then having me sign a bunch of papers, which I don't know it was on any of them. It was, you know, a lot of medical paperwork. Um, and then they they delivered our son, Jack. He was uh, 26 weeks and six days, one pound, seven ounces, uh, a little over 12 inches long. So about the size of my hand, maybe a little bit bigger. And, um, you know, he had he had a long road. They They told us right away. You know, there's going to be ups and downs. He's going to be here a while. His uh, his due date was March 28th, and he was born on December 26th. So, um, unbelievable. He he had a lot of a lot of problems very early on. He his lung collapsed uh, uh, about a day after he was born. Um, you know, he was given surfactant, which at the time we didn't really know what that was. Turns out, um, you know, that was something that was developed through research and funding from the March of Dimes, and and it helps kids with uh, respiratory distress syndrome, which is which essentially leads to the collapsed lung in a premature baby, um, and the surfactant helps to open up uh, the cells in the lung and, and allow the child to breathe better. So um, so he had that issue early on. Uh, obviously, being small, it was just a lot harder for him to survive and, and kind of go through day to day. At seven weeks old, he had. Uh, he got really sick. He had uh, neck, which is necrotizing enterocolitis, which is a, a bacterial infection in Jeez. the abdomen. And um, he had to eventually have surgery, which uh, the surgeon described to us was a, a less than 40% success rate at his size of a little over two pounds. So, oh, my goodness. Uh, which Kyle did not share with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, after I was told was not to tell Katie. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, moms don't need to know everything. No, no, no. So, um, no, Kyle's the numbers guy. We were, we were very lucky that the surgeon uh, in New York was a— uh, a very well recognized and and uh, high, highly reputable surgeon and and did a fantastic job. Our son came out on the other side very well, obviously, and um, you know he ended up spending a total of 121 days in the NICU. Uh, he was released uh, May 7th, I believe it was, or excuse me, May 6th uh, from December 26th. So uh, 121 days in the NICU, and uh, we were finally able to go back to Chicago. Uh, and be home for once in about four or five months. That's incredible. And uh, and We're now he's four s- years old. And supposed yeah. to stay with Kyle's uh, uh, aunt and uncle for about a week for Christmas, and it turned into 121 days. <laughs> well, at their house. Thank goodness for family, though, right? Yeah. That's what we always say. I mean, yeah. we were the only ones in Chicago at the time, so if it was going to happen anywhere, uh, everyone, our our fam- both families are on the East Coast, so that's great. They mm-hmm. were able to help you there. out. Yeah, for sure. Katie, yeah. would you explain for the average person out there that doesn't know what the you call it the NICU is? Yes. What is that? The Neonatal Intensive Care Unit. Which is a special unit at most every hospital. Yes. And yes. what do they do in there? Well, that's where they keep our babies <laughs> alive. Yeah. Um, our NICU experience was, was um, 
very special, um, both positive experiences, but different in that uh, Jack was born in an older hospital in New York where they had four larger nurseries with several babies in each one, right? which was nice, a sense of community and support, togetherness, even if we didn't talk to the other families, the other parents, just to kind of give them a look or a, a smile, a shoulder to cry sure. on during those tough days. We're sort of together in that. Josie here in Lone Tree um, had a nice, big, beautiful private room, which was great for, I had a nice big recliner. I could put my feet up and and uh, to, to be able to hold her. They call it the kangaroo care, skin to skin, where they uh, put her on my chest. Uh, so that was just, um, so we got to experience both, um, mm-hmm. both sort of the communal uh, nursery and then uh, the, her own private room. So, yeah. well, let's uh, let's define more because I know your story, but most uh-huh. people don't. When you say both, so you go through this whole episode with Jack. Yes. And then what's next, Kyle? When all of a sudden you're thinking about having another baby, the doctors say it shouldn't happen again. What? Yeah. So the chan- the the one issue with Katie developed help syndrome with Jack, uh, which is hemolysis, elevated liver enzymes, and low platelet count. So essentially, when the mom eats and, and is passing the passing the food through to the through to the baby, the the food and everything gets processed through the liver and when you have help syndrome, the liver stops passing anything through. So she continued to take in, but was not pushing anything to the baby. So the baby actually eventually gets smaller and struggles to eat, and it puts more stress on the baby, and eventually um, the baby has to be delivered because of that. So from that, we didn't know what that was going to mean, and the doctor said, hey, you know, there's a, a very small percentage chance of somebody developing help the first time. It's less than a 1% chance of it happening again because now that we know you've had it, you know, when you get pregnant again, you'll be taking medication, you'll be doing regular blood tests, you'll be coming to, I think we were at the, uh, or you were at the doctor every every other week probably for the entire pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Um, multiple blood tests, you know, uh, all, all kinds of testing going on during that. And so they said it shouldn't be an issue. And at about 25 weeks uh, when she was uh, pregnant with, with our daughter Josephine last year, um, she went to the doctor for a regular checkup and her blood pressure was high and they said, okay, we want to admit you to Skyridge to just continue to run tests over the weekend and make sure that everything's okay and that the baby's okay. Maybe bed rest, maybe some sure, um, blood sure. pressure medication. Yeah. Yeah. The goal when when um, the goal for most doctors uh, with a high risk pregnancy is usually 36, 37 weeks. They sit, consider that to be a much uh, a much better situation. So we were at 25. 25 and a half and, and a couple days <laughs> and and we start getting these the, the wheels turning again yeah. and uh and the doctors are like all right let's keep you over the weekend let's run some tests and and they're running tests and it got to the point where um you know they were doing the sonograms of the baby every day and she actually got to the point where uh our daughter was um and we didn't know it was our daughter at the time but the baby was getting smaller uh two or three days in a row and they just finally said hey we've got to deliver this baby before it gets too bad uh, and in a similar situation to before what Jack had, to before Katie we get to Jack the, situation the like emergency, last time. right? Yeah. So, um, so she was delivered at 26 weeks and four days, two days earlier than Jack was, but she was 1.8 ounces and 12 and a quarter inches. So she was a little bit bigger than Jack was, but she was in a much better situation. So we both were. Yeah. So when, um, because they were monitoring and tracking Katie for for close to a week prior to the delivery, um, when Jack was born, you know, they they. Took him out and said, "We're running off to the NICU. They it's did a boy." Hold him up for us to and, see, and then just ran out of the room. With Josephine, they delivered her. We were in the room. I was able to to go over and see her, take a picture. Um, she was on a little bit of oxygen, but it, it wasn't as critical and dire. She was just small, uh, and, and it was a, a, a little prepared, bit easier guess, start this time. than than it was with Josephine. I was just going to ask Katie that: Were you more prepared? You weren't. There were no surprises this time. Well, we just, I mean, we certainly looked at each other, you know, with Jack, like, how could this be happening? Is this really happening? And then with Josie, is this really happening again? Uh, honestly, though, with Jack, because it was so quick in hindsight and now that everything's okay, I almost preferred it because this time, or, I, mean, I mean, it just went so fast and we sure. didn't have time to think about it. Sure. Now that we had been through it, it was 10 a.m. I think they came in on, on March 8th when she was born and, and said, we're going to schedule the C-section for three. So we had from 10 to three to lay there and I got all my now Basically Josie cry for five hours <laughs> and Josie had gotten she had gotten her steroids you know they like to have it was it 24 to 48 hours before yeah. to kind of get in the system Jack had his uh maybe a few hours before he oh. was delivered Josie we had had a day or two um so it was just yeah. it, almost harder this time that we 
you kind of know what more time to yeah to to play all those scenarios through our head incredible story and the good news is jack and josie are both very healthy they sure are miracle babies right Yes. yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Jack is in preschool now, and uh, Josie just had her first birthday. And... Preschool? What does that make you think? <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> What's going on? And, and they do say by two or three they'll get caught up, and that's exactly, you know, around two, two and a half. Um, you know, you couldn't really see a difference yeah. um, between Jack and his peers. Well, can one of you maybe, and I'm one of those lucky guys, I mean, I have four kids, never had an issue, really never had an issue, but... What is a premature birth? Is it fairly common? And is that's why you got involved with the March of Dimes? Can somebody, one of you guys, address that? Sure. Um, uh, March of Dimes believes that every baby deserves the best possible start. Unfortunately, not all babies get one, and March of Dimes is changing that. Um, uh, Americans lead the world in medical research and care, but the U.S. preterm birth rate is among the worst of highly developed nations. Pregnancy-related death has more than doubled over the past 25 years. Premature birth is the largest contributor to infant death. One in 10 babies in the U.S. are born premature. Uh, One in 33 babies are born with a birth defect. And one in seven moms suffer from postpartum depression. So really, the numbers speak for themselves. And March of Dimes supports more families than you'd think, maybe even some that you know. Um, So for a community to be able to come together uh, for a common cause with a common goal like the March of Dimes, the future is brighter for for all of us, moms yeah. and babies. And, and I think the, the biggest thing, too, with the prematurity is I think it's typically around 36, 37 weeks um, or earlier is what they would consider premature. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, we, we had family members who delivered at, I think, 35 or 36 weeks. Um, so not, you know, what we would call, you know, severely premature, but um, their daughter had to stay in the hospital for several weeks because she had multiple issues so it's not just you're born really small. It's also you're born with issues, birth defects, you know, breathing problems, heart problems, brain, vision, things like that. There's a lot of different – you don't have to be born at 26 weeks to be have the same problems that any, any other premature baby would have. And there's, we've heard the terms uh, premature, uh, micro-premies, micro and then there's super-micro-premies, which we had. Which is us. Well, yeah. I mean, you held your children in the palm of your hand. I mean, that's a vision you can't get out of your head. And, yeah. Well, and the one of the best pictures that we had, you know, and this is all, the nurses knew to do this. Of course, we weren't thinking this, but Kyle's wedding ring went up over their foot, their ankle, their leg without touching. Stop it. Your wedding ring? Wedding My ring. wedding ring yeah. could so go his, his all ring the way finger up their leg without touching anything. About their leg. Well, there's another vision I won't be able yeah. to get out of my head uh-huh. for a while. Yeah, we have those pictures framed yeah. for sure. So let's talk about how great the March of Dimes is really. Uh, 2018 March of Dimes, Denver March is coming up. We're going to talk about that, but you're the ambassador family, uh, the daddy-o family. We're talking to Kyle and Katie about Jack and Josie. But the March of Dimes, what is the March of Dimes, and how long have they been around? Can we address that issue, Kyle? Sure. Yeah, so it's the 80th anniversary this year of the March of Dimes. I think, you know, we obviously got involved, um, you know, with our son Jack four years ago and, and have been very involved, and, and it's it's important for us because of the work that they do. I mean, I think, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, there's a lot of focus on the child, which absolutely is necessary when the child's in the NICU, and there's a lot of funding and research that goes into that that the March of Dimes helps provide. Uh, but in addition to that, there's a huge support community for the parents, for the siblings, um, information and, and continual learning opportunities for the nurses, the NPs, uh, the doctors, and the rest of the staff in the NICU. So I think the overall involvement in not just the premature babies, but the moms specifically as well. The literature that's out there to help the moms, the um, you know the advocacy that they do in the community. Uh, we you know we had a lobby day where we were up on um, up on, at the Capitol in in Denver a couple weeks back, where we're talking to people who have the ability to make change. Uh, and to affect a lot of the work and, and the laws that go into the the screening for children when they're born. So, um, you know, there's tests that are done when babies are first born, no matter if they're premature or not, that the March of Dimes is really implementing change into those, you know, what specifically are being looked at in that. Uh, I think one of the biggest things that stuck out that I didn't know when we first got involved with the March of Dimes is it's the only nonprofit that's ever actually cured and beaten something, and that was polio. And so then they now had to to come up with a second mission, uh-huh. um, and it's the only organization to ever do that. And I think, you know, for us, the the ability that they have to kind of inject into the community the knowledge and just what we learned 
with Jack being in the NICU and then now Josie, uh, the doctors, I can, you know, kind of proudly say the doctors were very impressed with all of the knowledge that we had um, with Josephine, just based on the fact of everything we went through with Jack. And a lot of that goes back to the March of Dimes and what, you know, what information and education and support they provided us. Can we talk about maybe some of the programs the March of Dimes provide, Katie? Can we talk about that a little bit? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, one of the biggest things that that we see is, you know, they're looking into specifically helping helping the moms, um, whether it be underprivileged communities or opportunities for moms to get, like I said earlier, more literature and more education into what they need. Um, I know folic acid and maybe Katie can speak more to some of the specific things that, that get to moms, but um, really providing education in the communities where it's needed. Um, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with the advocacy piece I spoke of earlier, but making sure that moms understand, you know, not only what do I do when I'm pregnant, but if I'm thinking about getting pregnant, what do I need to know? Do I need to start taking certain vitamins? Do I need to get certain health checks right. before I go to that? What are the type of doctors I need to see and blood tests that should be taken? Where where do I go to do that? Um, I think is a big piece of it because if you're not prepared to do something, a lot of times it can be too late or more difficult once you're actually in the moment of doing that when you're pregnant. Um, and then I think the research piece of it, I was lucky enough firsthand when we were in Chicago, um, I was on the board of the March of Dimes there, and there's five, uh, and I actually believe now six, prematurity research centers that the March of Dimes has, um, five in the U.S. and I think one um, over in Europe, where there's a there's funding being provided to these medical universities where they're specifically looking at why does prematurity happen, because they're is no specific answer as to why babies are born early. Um, and that really hits home for us. Uh, like I said, when we were in Chicago, I got to go to the University of Chicago for the grand opening of that facility, You know, meet with the doctors and the staff that's performing all these testing, see the technology that they're using that's directly funded by the March of Dimes. And you know, specifically for us, um, it hit home with me because you know, after Josephine was born and it happened a second time to Katie, we were going back in and Katie was doing a lot of blood tests and the results have always come back. You know, we have good news and bad news. The good news is nothing's wrong with you. The bad news is we don't know because there's nothing wrong with you. We don't know why you delivered prematurely. And so the research that's going into these prematurity research centers directly impacts us because now we have the concern of, does Katie have any long lasting effects from it? Does Josephine, our daughter, now have to worry about delivering prematurely right. because right. there's genetic issues with sure. it. Um, and I know that the the research center in Cleveland was able to come up with some specifics within DNA strands related to um, moms that delivered prematurely. And so there's development that's happening out of these research centers that I think, you know, hopefully 20, 30 years from now when our, when our daughter uh, gets older, we've got some more insight into why this happens. Some of the other wins of the March of Dimes, um, Kyle had mentioned a couple, but funded the research that led, as Kyle mentioned, the discovery of the polio vaccine, um, leading the efforts to expand the availability of NICUs, those neonatal intensive care units where our guys were. Um, they actually, I didn't know this, proved that drinking during pregnancy can cause birth defects. That was the worst really? times. Yeah. Um, and then the, the folic acid campaign that Kyle had mentioned um, resulted in a sharp decline in neural tube defects uh, in the infants when the mothers were taking that folic acid through pregnancy. Well, Katie is the mother of Jack and Healthy Josie together. What has the March of Dimes meant to you as the mom? It, everything. I mean, the March of Dimes and our expanded family and the, the NICU doctors and nurses um, and, and staff there, uh, they gave us our our healthy Jack and Josie. So we really, you know, can't thank them enough and, and we'll continue to do uh, all that we can, um, you know, to... And and we can't wait till Jack and Josie get older. Um, you know, right now they're kind of just following us and sure. and uh, and, sure. and and going through the motions. But when they actually, um, you know, can can take it to heart and and understand the, their story, um, that'll be pretty special. Oh, I'm sure it will be. They probably won't believe it when they can understand what right. you're telling right. them. That's yeah. for sure. And know what they're what they're marching for yeah. at the march. So Kyle, we talked about how important the march at times is to you as family mm -hmm. and other families. Why is it so important to our community? Well, I think it's big for our community because in Denver, you've got such a vast population, um, you know, from the cities out, to, uh, from the city out to the suburbs. Um, and I think, you know, what a lot of people don't realize, too, is how how prematurity and, and how birth defects and how pregnancy affects 
um, you know, the different diverse groups in the community. And so, um, you know, like I said, we had the lobby day where we were down on, on, um, at the Capitol in Denver discussing with uh, a lot of the, the local and state politicians on some things that we can do to help support, um, you know, moms going through pregnancy or thinking about being pregnant and what opportunities we can give them to help and support the babies. I think specifically to Denver, you know, like I said before, the, the diversity in the community and I think the education that's provided by the March of Dimes to let, you know, people in different communities understand how specifically it affects them. I think the March of Dimes has done a really good job of getting down to um, kind of the specifics of how different communities are affected. I think one of the things that we talk about a lot in our meetings at the March of Dimes is, um, you know, not specifically the the premature babies, but the moms as they're become, you know, thinking about getting pregnant, that that pre-pregnancy education and literature and outreach that the March of Dimes provides in Denver specifically. And then when moms become pregnant, providing opportunities for them to see the right doctors, to become involved in the right programs, to understand specifically um, who they need to see, where they need to go, and the the other groups that are able to provide that support. So you have individuals and you have moms and families that, you know, may not be able to just sure. drive over to children's hospital, who may not be who may not have a doctor, who may not have access to, you know, a high risk pregnancy OBGYN. So the March of Dimes has the ability to give them information on what's out there for them, free opportunities for them to go and read about what they need to know, to see the right people at the right time to, you know, as easy as it is to go to the grocery store and buy baby aspirin and buy and get folic acid and get the prenatal vitamins, vitamins, prenatal vitamins that you that a mother needs. If you don't know about it, you're not going to do it. Absolutely. And so the literature and the advocacy that, that the March of Dimes is able to do in the community here in Denver to help people, you know, those little things may not sound like, oh, if I take a prenatal vitamin every morning, uh, I think my wife started taking it, you know, with Josephine, but even before I think with Jack too. Yeah, with even Jack, when you're she, trying to get pregnant. Yeah, you're oh, taking it before sure. you even get pregnant. So sure. I think that's just things that people don't know that the March of Dimes is trying to get out in the community more to to allow them to to understand everything that's involved in becoming pregnant. Well, it's a big undertaking, a helpful mm-hmm. undertaking, and it does require cash for the March of Dimes. I mean, it's you know, money's just not flowing in. So that's why we have the March for Babies campaign, which is underway now. And maybe, uh, Katie, you can talk about that a little bit? Sure. Uh, March for Babies is the March of Dimes' largest fundraiser. Um, last year in um, Denver, more than 1,500 people participated uh, in the march. Um, we are trying to raise $345,000 to support the work of the March of Dimes in Denver. Um this year's walk is uh, Saturday, April 21st at City Park. Registration is at 9 a.m. The walk begins at 10. The walk's about three miles. Uh, some people run. Most of us walk. Uh, there's a lot of uh, fun team T-shirts. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, the, the teams make, uh, you know, we have Jack and Josie's stats, I guess we call them, on the back, um, all their numbers. Um uh, there is a, a super cute superhero sprint for the kids. They get a purple cape, uh, and that sort of kicks oh, off. Oh, I want the walk. that. I want yeah. that purple cape. That sounds like fun. We, we probably got some extras. I, if you need I them. can bring oh, you one. I'll, I'll put it right on. <laughs> yeah, so that sort of kicks off the walk uh, for us. Uh, after there is uh, music uh, and some food, and um, it's really it's a, a you know joyful day of celebrating for the community of coming together, um, and it's a, a day for everyone. It's a day where we hope we remember and we celebrate. Uh, at all of our walks, um, not just in Denver, but nationwide. We hope for the day when all moms are healthy. We remember those babies that we lost, and we celebrate every mom and baby. But there's a few tears shed at that event. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, because you've got the, you've got parents like us who are lucky enough to have both of our kids come out on the right end. Um, You have parents who did not have the same situation that we had. Uh, And I think they all deserve the opportunity to tell their story and, and for people to understand you know, what parents go through. I, I think, you know, we we've have some really good friends, you know, here in Denver and, and back in Chicago who, you know, they had kids born at 40 weeks, no issues, perfectly healthy. And, um, you know, they flat out told us we cannot complain about our kids ever, like after talking to you guys, because I don't think people realize how how lucky they are and how um, how special it is to just have a child sure, and not have any complications from it. So I think for us being at the March, 
Um, you know, like I said, we've been doing it for four years now, both in Chicago, and then this will be our second year here in Denver. Uh, it's just great to see everybody. You've got, um, obviously, you know, Cozy and, and KYGO coming out, and you've got the food and everything, the the, sh- the uh, superhero um, uh, race sprint. for the kids, <laughs> the sprint for the kids. Uh, I think Bernie was out there last year from the Avalanche. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Um, there's a ton of him. stuff for the kids. It's a lot of fun. The weather's always really good. Uh, and so it's it's just a it's a fun event for everybody to kind all of the, get out and understand. all the kids make it special and sort of yeah. bring up the the energy level. Mm-hmm. I bet there's a lot of great bonding among the families, is there not? People that you see time and time again, and the kids are bigger, and you got stories. It must be really a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, and those T-shirts that I had mentioned, when you kind of you know can share your story, and you're walking past, or you see, you know, that starts the conversation of, oh, you had a 26 weeker. This is our 26 weeker, and. Um, so that's it's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I think that you know the nurses at the different hospitals, the NICU nurses come out, uh, and the doctors, and and it's really fun to see them. And uh, you know we've we we try to go back every year on the birthdays to uh, to bring the kids back to see the nurses, and and they love that. So them being out at the march is always always a lot of fun as well. Yeah, their support. And you can hear uh, young Josie in the back. She's adding her <laughs> comments because she loves that walk. She does. She can't wait to get well, out there. Well, yeah, last year when we walked, she was still in the NICU. So this will be her oh. first. We were walking for her last year, oh, and uh, she'll man. actually be strolling along with us. Well, the walk is coming up at City Park uh, on Saturday, April 21st. Registration's at 9, starts at 10 a.m. Uh, how can people get involved, Kyle? Uh, I'm sure ahead of time you can get teams together. And that, is that how this works? Yeah, so marchofdimes.org has everything. Um, you can also, you know, just search, you know, Denver March for Babies. Um, and it's April 21st. Sign up is, is very easy right on the site. You can either join a team that's already been created um, you know, or you can go ahead and start your own team. Or if you just like to make a donation to the March of Dimes, there's the availability on that. Um, you know, we, we've had team Jack and Josie now, well, it was team Jack until last year. And now, <laughs> now it's team Jack and Josie. As it should yeah. be. Yeah. Team, team daddy-o. Team daddy-o. And, that. um, and so, you know, it's been great. We've had a lot of good family and friend support and, uh, we've had a lot of friends start their own team and, and do a really good job. We've also got opportunities for corporate teams to, to sign up there and get started, and, and all that information is on March uh, Yeah, it's March a great way to engage employees to support an important cause, oh, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and if you do form your own team, registration is free, uh, and we provide online tools to help you get started yeah. on your so, fundraising. And that information's online? Yes, yes, it's all on the website. Um, when you sign up your team, you'll begin to get emails and information about how it directly connects to Facebook, so you can give regular updates through Facebook. Um, and all the other social media options. So marchforbabies.org slash event slash Denver. Well, this whole March for Babies, though, it's not just that event. Isn't there like month-long activities, fundraising-type stuff going on? Am I wrong about that? Yeah, yeah, there's always opportunities. Um, I know that we we directly get involved in a lot of the kickoff events, so um, specifically for corporate teams. You know, we'll go out and we'll tell our story and, and kind of get people more engaged leading up to – uh, up to the March for Babies on, on April 21st. And so there's stuff going on, um, you know, through social media and then events in the Denver area continually up into the event. It, it's a great cause, and I've had the opportunity to emcee one of the events. Mm-hmm. That's where I met Kyle for the first time, and I was so impressed with the doctors involved and the people involved, and I believe I'm going to be involved with the walk on that day on the 21st, and I'm anxious to see it. I'm really excited about it. I know our Bonneville gang here has got a big team ready to go, and yep. it's great. They and got the music playing from early in the morning. Oh, yeah, there you, go. you <laughs> got to have the music. That's right. You crank that up. That's part of our job. Yeah. And also the money's raised. You said, uh, Katie, what, 345000 Is that the goal? That is our goal, yes. And does that money all stay here in Denver? Or how does that get dispersed? Do yes. we know? Yeah, so we focus a lot of it on the Denver market. Um, the march is specifically to cater to the Denver the Denver area market. Um, you know, it's a, about 75, 75, 75, 76 cents on the dollar goes directly into the funding um, through the research, through the advocacy, um, through the outreach within the community directly. Effect, I mean, we can speak to it. I mean, it directly affects the babies that are in the NICU. Um, you know, I think... One of the kind of crazy things for us was being involved in the March of Dimes here in Denver. We've helped to put together things for NICU parents. And so one of the things we did last year was we put together um, welcome packages for parents in the NICU. Uh, and we, you know, we had little, you know, tissues and candies oh, and I'll treats and granola was... bars and water bottles. Yeah. And hand sanitizer, so, can't yeah. get enough of that. So NICU. that when a baby's admitted to the NICU and the parents come in, there's a there's a bag of goodies there for Maybe them. some things that they wouldn't, they shouldn't have to think about. And it's so there. we put those together in February and then 
little did we know our daughter was born March 8th and you know, after she's delivered, we walk into the NICU at Skyridge, and there's a welcome bag put together by the March of Dimes Denver. <laughs> Kyle may and, have and even I had his hands on it. May have even made that bag. So I think there's a lot of little things too that, uh, aside from the the research and the advocacy and the literature, there's a lot of little things like that that um, we can speak to as parents make a, a very large impact on things that we just wouldn't think of. Uh, that the March of Dimes is very heavily involved. Well, in. good job, you guys, Kyle and Katie Daddio, parents of Jack and Josie. They are the ambassador family for the 2018 March of Dimes Denver March for Babies. We'll see you out at Civic, uh, City Park on, on April 21st. And thank you guys for coming in. Thank you for, thank having, you for us. having us. And uh, God bless you both. And boy, Jack and Josie as well. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, look forward to see everybody at the march. And we'll see you out there. And thank you all for listening to Mile High Magazine. We'll talk to you next week. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Adam Morgan. The FBI reports that hate crimes in America have increased for a second year. 60% of victims were targeted due to their ethnicity or race. Hate crimes connected to religion also increased, with 55% being anti-Semitic and 25% focused against Muslims. In Colorado, only 10 anti-Semitic events occurred in 2014. However, this has risen to 57 last year in 2017. Greetings again. I'm Adam Morgan. The FBI report simply confirms what most have known, that bias incidents have been increasing and contributing to an unease in the nation. So, what can be done to ease these hate crimes? But better yet, how do we protect ourselves against them? To answer these questions, we gain additional insight from the Mountain State's Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League, Mr. Scott Levin. The problem, I think, occurs is that we also recognize or expose the fact that haters are haters, and it doesn't matter who they're standing up hating against, they usually hate everybody. Yeah. In this particular one, where the arguments were, of course, being made as to whether or not the Confederate statues should be removed, it allowed a focal point for people who are out-and-out white supremacists to come together and to espouse their hate. They started with chants that said, you will not replace us. And before yeah. it was done, it was changed to Jews will not replace us. And so people who had their anger against people of color also had their anger against Jewish people, also had their angers against other minorities and disaffected communities. The haters just simply hate. And didn't some of them have Nazi flags? Oh, yes. There was, there was Nazi flags. Uh, uh, there was, of course, the Confederate flags that were there. Um, there were signs hearkening back to slavery. There were all types of uh, horrific things that were presented at that time. And, you know, it's unfortunate because what we really expect is is that when these things happen, because we're not going to be able to stop haters from being there, um, but when they do happen, we really want our leaders to stand up and say, that's just not acceptable. That is not what we expect out of the good people of the United States. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we had some mixed messages that came out of Charlottesville. It was, it was like a throwback in time. Well, it and, was. And, and every <laughs> single thing that's happened through time was always exhibited yeah. in that one incident. right? Well, from, from the perspective of the Anti-Defamation League, it's something that we follow quite closely, the extremists in the United mm-hmm. States and especially the white supremacists. But one thing that we ask for is, you know, first of all, we're a First Amendment organization and everybody has a right to speak. Even the haters have a right to speak. Yeah, they do. That's, that's what the First Amendment's about. It's our job to speak louder and speak more often against them when we do that. And one way we do that is, is that we ask for the mayor, the college president, the chief of police, the governor, the president of the United States. When these things happen, you need to stand up and say, this is simply not acceptable. And, and when, then, when they don't, then it's compliance. It's, it is. It's taken as compliance. That's right. And it, it gives a permission and it emboldens people then to act on some of their worst urges. You know, racism, Islamophobia, um, anti-Semitism, and the rest have existed for a long time. This isn't new. What's different right now is that some people have been given permission to just act on their worst urges. And that's the thing that we at the ADL and I think that everybody should be standing up against. We want to make it clear that this is just not acceptable. Now, in Charlottesville, we also had the counter protests going on the other side. Mm-hmm. And some have said, well, they're exhibiting hate just as well. 
Well, they're, 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 what you're referring to is what's called the Antifa or the anti-fascists that were present there. I don't think there's an excuse for violence on either side. I don't think mm-hmm. anybody should be marching down the street with billy clubs and wearing SWAT gear and some of the other things. But I don't think that you can really equate the Antifa or the anti-fascists and mm-hmm. the white supremacists that were there. The Antifa were only there because they opposed the fascist ideology of the other people. If the fascists weren't out there beating heads and doing the things that they were doing, yeah. uh, trying to scare the townspeople in the country by carrying their tiki torches uh, across the University of Virginia campus, you wouldn't have had the Antifa that were there. Um, certainly, these are, uh, in my view, not opposite sides of the same coin. You have a really large movement that was going forward with the Unite the Right, or some have called it Unite the White, that yeah. was in the uh, protesters that initiated this and a small group of the um, Antifa that were present, who were really, again, only there because of the white supremacists. Do you think we'll see another Charlottesville again? I think there are always that possibility. I think that there are groups that are out there that are trying to foment um, division and um, uh, amongst us, and uh, Charlottesville is just one way in which they did it. Uh, hopefully, through the work of the ADL, other yeah. organizations, law enforcement, and others, that they'll be a little bit better prepared when those things happen. Uh, at the Anti-Defamation League, uh, this had been on our radar and had tried to work with uh, the people in uh, law enforcement in Virginia, trying to uh, bring attention to it. Uh, unfortunately, I think that there were some mistakes that were made as to where the march took place, that they allowed it to be where it was as opposed yeah. to where it had originally been permitted. Um, it allowed for confrontation that perhaps uh, uh, we hope will be avoided in the future. Law enforcement, are you finding that they are not only becoming more cooperative because I've seen them in some instances be able to defuse some incidents before they happen? Do we want to see more of that from them? And we need to congratulate Absolutely. for sure. I think one of the things that law enforcement has been doing over the past decade, some places better than others, is is they've really tried to be community policing. In other words, to to really work with the peoples uh, in their communities to try to protect them, but also to try to better understand them. Again, they don't have a 100% success record, but none of us do. Right. Um, I do congratulate them that they have really taken steps to try to better understand. I know here in Colorado, and especially in the metropolitan area, having worked with law enforcement in these areas, they are reaching out into every community. They're making sure that they have much better understandings of what's going on in the African-American, Latino, Muslim Jewish, LGBT, all of these communities where they have officers that are reaching out to people and trying to better understand and also to build relationships. Because, of course, the first time that any of us have to deal with a police officer shouldn't be when we're in a time of crisis. We should first have a relationship with them. And I, I do applaud the efforts of the police, at least in this area, in attempting to do that. Also, America is also overly influenced by popular culture because how we respond to events is usually how we saw some film did it, you know, and we try to reflect that even if it's subconsciously. Yeah. And in some instances, they've they said about other things with violence, if we just changed some of the video games, we wouldn't have the issue. And so is there a responsibility that popular, popular culture needs to have to reflect well, I'm, some of the better values of the nation as well. I would love it if that would occur, but I think I'm a little bit more of a realist. And I, I think I uh, uh, do bridle a little bit at some of the easy answers to it, that if we just had better uh, video games, we had less, uh, uh, you know, if the morality of people were better, if, uh, you know, we had more better ethics, all those things are wonderful. But the reality is, is uh, we live... Uh, in a time when we do, yeah. um, where popular culture has evolved to a point that some of us of a certain age maybe question whether that's good or not, but <laughs> I'm sure our parents questioned it uh, when we were of, the, of their age that was going on. Um, the reality of it is the strength of America is our diversity, number one, and number two, it's our ability for everybody to be able to have an opinion. 
mm-hmm. and to be able to express it. And it gets expressed in artistic expressions that I may or may not agree with. But again, my job then is, is to express more positive images that are out there. Right now, ADL just opened up our first center on technology and society yeah. in Silicon Valley, working with the major internet and social media players that are out there. And uh, they did a, a, a game jam, or I think they called it a hackathon. A but hackathon. With the, uh, okay. They, they had a bunch of these really great computer coders and hackers together um, several months ago, and they tried to create games that had positive social justice and other type images in them. And it's really neat to see the outcome that when some of these people who are otherwise involved in an industry that might feed on violence and misogyny and some of the things that we don't appreciate so much, that when they can use that creativity for good, what a wonderful thing that is. I've also heard that some... uh some comment was we need to bring back the draft and then we won't have as many military video games from guys who, <laughs> who once you really serve and you're under fire, you know, that, that's not the best thing you want to go home and do anymore. I would imagine that that's true. You know, that is for sure. Tell us about the, uh, the Governor's Holocaust Remembrance Program that's coming up on, I think, the 24th of April. Yeah, on April the 24th at 6 o'clock, we will be holding the 37th annual. 37. This the, is a really important program that's been going on where every sitting governor of the state of Colorado has participated all the way through to our current governor, Governor Hickenlooper. And the program has grown from a small little gathering that took place in the governor's mansion with about 20 people 37 yeah. years ago to the fact that we'll have 1,700 people at Temple Emanuel. The last few years, we've actually sold out. It's a free program, but you do need, for security reasons, to have tickets. And again, you can get there by going to our website at denver.adl.org or on Eventbrite Mm -hmm. to actually get the tickets. But we're bringing in a speaker this year that's going to be from Canada. His name is Sidney Zoltak. And it has just an amazing story. As a young child, uh, his town was overrun by the Nazis. They were put into a ghetto. And on the night before that ghetto was going to be exterminated, where they're going to be taken and shot Mm -hmm. um, and killed, um, Sidney Zoltak and his family snuck out and hid in the forest and ended up uh, being befriended by some of the people that lived there, non-Jews, who hid them then for a couple of years and uh, really saved his life and that of his family. So it's a really compelling, very interesting, neat story. And I'm going to have the privilege of interviewing him during the Governor's Holocaust Remembrance Program. Mm -hmm. Governor Hickenlooper is also scheduled to appear, and he will be giving a, a message to the citizens of the state of Colorado. We also have a couple of other really neat things that go on, and among those is we do an essay contest with high school students throughout the state. Yeah. And uh, to really talk about moral courage, we ask the students to identify somebody who at risk to themselves stood up for others. Yeah. And they, we have them read things about the Holocaust so they can understand those people who really were the courageous Gentiles mm-hmm. that stood up and, and helped to save the Jews. And then people have picked other um, stories uh, that are always fascinating and interesting on what motivates the the youth. And uh, we recognize the winners of this essay contest at the program. That's one of the things the ADL has always recognized, that it is a community support. African-Americans could not have made it out of the South to Canada without a whole bunch of Anglos hiding them and helping them in that Underground Railroad. We didn't build that thing, you know. They built the thing and got people up there. Yeah, I'm, I'm always proud, as, and I'm every every person from every religion. I'm sure can have things that they're proud about. But one of the things that I'm most proud about is is that you know in my um, you know predecessors' generations, um, how they stood up for other people, whether it was in helping to form the NAACP, yeah. helping to set up the fair housing laws that took place in Colorado in the 1950s, um, uh, on through to today the kind of things that we're involved with. Um, and again, I think that goes back to that recognition that if you're going to make the world better for yourself, you better make it better for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm always so proud of our mission at the Anti-Defamation League, which is not only to stop 
anti-Semitism, but also to secure justice and fair treatment to all. So if people need more information about the ADL, they go to the website. If they need support or help, they go to the website. Absolutely. It all starts there at ADL.com. Go to denver.adl.org or www.adl.org and uh, come to the Denver office through that website. We um, welcome people that are having issues that we might be able to help them with as well. You'll be able to learn about these great programs, the Governor's Holocaust Remembrance Program that's coming up on April the 24th. We thank Mr. Scott Levin, Mountain State's Regional Director of the Anti-Defamation League, for being our guest again on this edition. In a community note, the event Vote for Lives is taking place on April 19th. That's Thursday evening coming up at 6 p.m. It's a voter registration in Klimek Park, which is close to Columbine High School. I'm Adam Morgan. Do keep in touch, stay on your game, and we thank you for sharing a few moments of your weekend with us. Now, we continue with Mile High Magazine. Here's your host, Melissa Moore. Hi, it's Melissa Moore. Thanks for joining me for Mile High Magazine. Thrilled to have in here this week, Skip Vanderbach, who is the Center Director of the USO Denver. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having us, Melissa. Glad to be here today. Well, we're happy to have you. I love the military, obviously, and appreciate all that the military and the families and the spouses do. And I know the USO is uh, very deeply ingrained here in the Denver community. But first off, give me a little background. What exactly is the USO? So the USO stands for United Service Organizations. We started in 1941 uh, serving the military. And our mission is to keep America's uh, military service members connected to family, home, and country throughout their service to the nation. We do that through 200 locations worldwide today. Denver is just one of those locations. Uh, And we have two facilities here in the Denver area, one out at the airport, uh, one downtown where all the new recruits come through, the military entrance processing station. Okay. Okay. That's, is that what, MEPS? MEPS. MEPS. I was like, what is, okay, so what does that stand for? Military entrance processing station. Okay. Okay. And what do you do out at the airport? Because that's a pretty unique connection. So the airport, uh, our main operation there is a lounge for the okay. military for the most part. That's the best way I can describe it. Um, everything for them there is complimentary. It's a safe place. They can get away from the hustle and bustle of being out in the airport terminal. Mm-hmm. They can come in. We offer Wi-Fi. We've got TVs, big comfy chairs for them to sit in, free beverages, snacks, that type of thing. Oh, nice. Um, and we never know who we're going to see there. It could be just that family that's traveling to go see family they haven't seen in a while. Okay. It could be that member who's deploying for a year, and that's going to be their last touch of home before they go out the door overseas mm. and being away from their family. And unfortunately, we do occasionally get those members that are coming through that they're going to see a loved one that passed away in the service. And we're helping them make that transition through Denver Airport as smooth as possible. Right. So who is the USO um, Denver Airport lob or lounge open up to? Uh, so we serve what we call the currently serving military. So active duty members, National Guard members, reserves, any of their dependents uh, are allowed to use the facility. On a space available basis, we do allow retirees to use our airport facility as well. Okay. Do they have to make reservations or how does that work? No reservations required. Uh, they just basically come in. They, we have a sign-in desk. They show their military ID, mm-hmm. um, showing they're currently in. Again, either active duty guard reserve or family member. Right. And sign in and they're good to go. And once oh. they're in for the day, they can stay come and go freely as they want. They're not locked into the location. Well, that's wonderful, especially when you think about, I'm sure a lot of people, Denver is that big hub of layovers, depending on where you're going. So I'm sure it gets used a lot. We do. We see a lot of foot traffic. The last couple of years we've been growing. So 2015, we saw 99,000 people roughly at the airport. 2016, we were about 119,000. And 2017, we served 127,000 at the airport facility alone. Just in the USO airport lounge. Just in, that's the foot traffic that came through our lounge at the airport. That is pretty incredible. Yep. And what did I read? That you also have a quiet place for the kids in there, which is hugely important. We do. We have a little kids area uh, set aside. They have little games for all ages. We have a um, TV screen kind of set aside with Mm -hmm. uh, DVD movies for the kids that they can watch so the parents can kind of take a break and the kids entertain themselves. Right. I think for a lot of us, you hear USO and I always think Bob Hope. Um, you know, and that was like the face of the USO for, for years and years. And I know so many, I work on the country station here um, at Bonneville, and so many of our country artists get involved with the USO. What was the need that sparked it? Because I know it happened during FDR's reign. What was the need that made them say, hey, we need to get out and do something like this? There were originally six organizations that um, were out doing a variety of different things for the military, trying to make life better. Again, complicated times back in the World Wars mm-hmm. and that. Um, and 
Congress actually came up with the charter and, and decided to come up with one organization to do that. And okay. that's where the USO came from. That's why United Service Organizations. Okay. And our emblem actually has six stars for each of those organizations that merged together into the USO. Okay. That makes sense then. So the, there's always been that need, but they finally just kind of got everybody together on the same page. Yep. Now, saying Congress chartered, we are not federally funded, though. So we are complete, We are a 501c3 nonprofit. It's completely based on finding partners, donors, sponsors that want to work with the USO. And where do you usually find those? A uh, variety of places throughout the community. Um, we reach out to basically any corporation, person, individual that would be interested in supporting the military mm-hmm. and see if there's some way we can find a partnership. Uh, for the career fair that's coming up, uh, Northrop Grumman is actually our title sponsor. Oh, great. Um, we get donations through a variety of companies, uh, grants that we put in for. Um, so it's just a, out there looking for people that want to help support the military. That's wonderful. Who are some of the big sponsors here in the Denver area? In the Denver area, uh, King Supers, uh, Northrop Grumman. Uh, we've had some help from Safeway. Um, Panera Bread, we actually get a lot of in-kind donations through them. Dunkin' Donuts. Starbucks Coffee has been do- donating a lot. In the past, we've gotten Caribou Coffee, so... Perfect. Um, yeah, a lot of different, and some of it's money, some of it's what we call in-kind, so right. donating actual items that we can use at our centers to take care of the military members. That's wonderful. And you were just talking about a career fair. Uh, what is that? What's going on with that? So as part of the USO's mission uh, nowadays, we are actually trying to help members make that transition from military service to civilian life. Um, not as easy as it sounds. I was 26 years there in the Air Force, mm-hmm. and trying to find a job on the outside world was was interesting. Um so we decided as part of the transition services we offer to try and host a career fair here in the Denver area. Uh, it's for transitioning military members, veterans, and their spouses who may be looking for, for jobs. We have 28 companies right now signed up to come. Uh, Northrop Grumman is our title sponsor. It's going to be May 9th at the Lowry Conference Center from 12 to 4 p.m. And in addition to being able to hand out resumes and talk to the companies, we're also doing some information sessions. Uh, we're going to be giving people information on VA home loan benefits, mm-hmm. uh, Freedom Mortgage is doing that. Uh, LeaderQuest, who's actually co-hosting the career fair with us, uh, is doing VA education benefits. And then we have um, New York Life will be coming to do a like a better money habits type. Great. And if you're just joining me, I'm talking to Skip Vanderbach, who is the center director of the USO here in Denver. And they've got a big career fair coming up. And what is that date again? Is it the 9th? The 9th. Noon to 4? Yes, ma'am. And it's just open to come in? Yes, I, you can register uh, if you go to, uh, if you look up USO Denver Facebook page, mm-hmm. uh, you can find links to it there. Um, you can also find it on uh, our USO Denver website. If you just Google USO Denver, it'll come up. Okay. Um, and then there's a link to a registration site. It's free for anybody who wants to come. Fantastic. So besides, I know we were just talking a minute ago about Bob Hope and that you do a legacy reading program with USO. What is that? So we refer to it as United Through Reading, um, Bob Hope Legacy Reading Program. Um, for military members that may be deploying for a long period of time, or even just family members that are trying to make that connection, uh, we provide a library of books, uh, and we'll take them to the members. They can actually read that book. We'll record them reading the book uh, to their children, Aww. and then we'll send that to the family while they may be gone uh, so they can make that family connection. That's one of our mm-hmm. main missions in the USO is to keep that family connection and keep those military members connected during the time that they're serving. All right. And I'm sure as a child, hearing your dad or mom's voice, it's got to be pretty powerful. It is. It is. And I'm sure seeing that happen as well. Well, explain to me a little bit just from a military perspective, because you said you were in the military how many years? I was 26 years Air Force. 26 years Air Force. And I think you told me um, before we went on the air, you moved 13 times? Yep. 13 times in 26 years. Okay. How important is the organization, the USO organization? The USO organization meant a lot to me when I was in, um, and it means a lot to the people that I've talked to. Um, it's, it shows the military that the community is out there that supports them, that, mm-hmm. that they believe in the military and what they're doing. Um, during my time in, uh, I remember using the USO lounge at Dulles Airport before I deployed to Pakistan for a year and having that last little bit of time with my family at the airport before I headed out and was gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember being deployed overseas. Um, I was flying airplanes at the time, and the USO brought a troop through the location we were at and it was a great breakup of the 
kind of day to day. It was like Groundhog Day after a while. It, it right. broke that up, kind of brought you back, tied you back to the family in the States and kind of reminded you what you were fighting for. Mm, that's wonderful. And I know that a lot of uh, artists will come over there and do concerts and do appearances. And you see celebrities coming over there all the time with the USO. So I think that's got to be kind of what you're talking about, kind of that morale boost, too, in breaking things up. It is. Um, seeing somebody that is an actor, an actress, a band, somebody like that that's got big ties to America, to have them come over and take the time to visit with you um, and show that they support what you're doing. It, it means a lot. I bet it does. Tell me a little bit about the USO Delivers. I guess they have care packages? USO has multiple yeah, type of care package programs. Okay. Um, so um, we can provide snack packs, toiletry type kits. Uh, there's also a mobile uh, us to go type program, mm -hmm. which is like a USO in a box of so places USO can't go. We can actually send those to troops downrange, uh, and it's a little kit that has like video game, movies, books, that type of stuff in it, so they can actually get some of those things for from home right. that they wouldn't traditionally be able to get out in the field. Right. So obviously all of this takes volunteers, I would assume, too. It does. It does. So in Denver, we have four, only four staff members. Okay. Uh, we have 200-plus volunteers, and they're actually the heart of our mission, and for all the USO the volunteers are primarily the heart of our mission. They're the ones who make our facilities run on a day-to-day -day basis. They go out to the activities we do and support the military members. Uh, there's no way with four staff that I could have reached 182,000 people last year like we did here in Denver. Right, no way. Uh, do you have to be former military to be a volunteer? No, uh, you just have to be over the age of 18. Okay. Um, and contact us. Um, through the, uh, there's a USO volunteer website you can go on. Look at the, not just here in Denver, any of the USOs, there's 200 worldwide that you can get in touch with. Um, go to look for the volunteer website, um, contact your nearest USO and get linked up with their volunteer coordinator. Wonderful. What are some of the jobs that the volunteers do? So uh, at our airport facility, uh, they meet, they greet um, the guests that are coming in, make sure that they're taken care of. They know what we have to offer. Uh, they help keep the food organized, make food sandwiches, mm -hmm. make hot dogs at the airport. Downtown, again, keeping things stocked, making sure we have coffee ready to go, serving prepackaged snacks, answering questions of either the members coming through the facility, mm -hmm. uh, maybe the parents that are there at our downtown facility. And then in activities, it's, it's helping the activity run. It's doing whatever we're doing that particular day, uh, whether it be playing games with the families or setting up the games or serving food or whatever we happen to be doing that day, making sure that the event goes the way it's supposed to. So obviously having a big heart for the community, a big heart for our U.S. military, it sounds like in being over the age of 18, those are kind of your requirements. Yeah, basically, if you want to give back to the military and be part of the USO community, we welcome you. Okay, awesome. And I'm sure you're always needing volunteers. We always need volunteers, yes. Um, besides your career fair coming up on May 9th, and once again, if you're just joining us, I'm talking with Skip Vanderbach, who is a center director for the USO Denver, uh, which is part of the national USO. Uh, besides the career fair that you've got coming up on May 9th, and there's more information up on the website about that, what other things do you have coming up with the USO? So for activity-wise, uh, with the military, um, we're coordinating a bunch of events out at Buckley Air Force Base. Uh, this last weekend, we participated in their Imagination Celebration event that they did at the Youth Center. Uh, we hosted a, a military family unplugged night um, over at Buckley on Friday night, which is basically just trying to get families away from their screens and playing games and connecting as a family. Mm -hmm. uh, we have multiple of those type of events coming up at Buckley, all the way up to F.E. Warren Air Force Base. We're working with them. We're trying to work with the... Uh, with Cronky Sports and the Colorado Mammoth about trying to put together a lacrosse clinic for military youth sometime April or May. We're hoping those details will come together. And we're trying to plan our next major fundraiser for September. Uh, we're looking to do something with Top Golf. Um, Fun. September 13th, yeah. Um, hosting a fundraiser to try and raise some money so that we can continue our mission here in Northern Colorado. And for people who want to make a donation, how do they go about doing that? Um, you can go online um, to USO Denver at USO.org um, and make an online donation there. There's a click button. Um, you can mail donations in if you want. Um, address is 8400 Pena Boulevard, Unit 492093, Denver, Colorado, 80249. Nice. You have that memorized. <laughs> I, I use that address a lot. I bet um, you you do. Yeah. And then if you, we're out at events all the time. Uh, if you see us um, out at an event, we do a lot of uh, collection events at King Supers or okay. other places. If you see us and you want to make a donation, just talk to us there. And I think a lot of people hear USO and they think that you are part of the military or you are government funded. But as you said a few minutes ago, you're not. That is correct. We're a 501c3 nonprofit. So, yeah, everything we do requires support from the community. That is wonderful. What is your hope being in charge of the Denver USO for the Denver USO? 
I hope to keep continuing to grow the number of people that we can serve here in the Northern Colorado area um, and getting more of the word out to the, the Denver community, the Northern Colorado community about what the military contributions are here in Northern Colorado and that mm-hmm. our military needs their support. Right, right. It really makes a difference in what they do. Yeah. And it may just be financial. It could be volunteer or maybe coming out to events and supporting. That is true. All the above. And where if if someone's hearing about this and they want to get a list of the events going on, where's the best place for them to get the information about USO Denver? The uh, best place is probably our Facebook page. Okay. Um, So just look up USO Denver on Facebook. You'll find us. uh, It's uh, at USO Denver is our our tag. Um, You can also check out uh, denver.uso.org is our website. Okay. Um, And that will usually put out most of our events uh, as long as we can keep it up to date. Okay. Okay. I understand. Once again, a great opportunity for a volunteer to come in. Yes. Help us out here. (laughs) Once again, if you just joined us, uh, Skip Vanderbach, who's the center director for the USO Denver. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Sure. Appreciate it. Once again, the best place to find out more information about the USO Denver is on their Facebook page. Just do a search there. You'll be able to find that information. And there's always opportunities. I know a lot of people are always saying, hey, I want to volunteer. I want to get involved. I want to show our support to the military. USO is a perfect place to do that. Definitely agree with that. Skip Vanderbach, the center director of the USO here in Denver. Thank you again for joining me on this Sunday morning. I'm Melissa Moore. Thank you for joining us on this Sunday morning. It is Mile High Magazine. I'll see you back here next Sunday. You have been listening to Mile High Magazine, a look at the issues and people shaping Colorado, presented by the Public Affairs Department of Bonneville, Denver. If you have a suggestion for a future program or a question, please send an email to publicaffairs at bonneville.com. Thanks for listening to Mile High Magazine.